0: This message by Mike Pluniac was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. You know, one of the things I never get tired of is hearing testimonies of God's saving grace. It is always encouraging. It's always amazing to see a person born again, given a new heart, to see their life transformed by the gospel of Christ. And just all the different stories, the different backgrounds, the different circumstances, but it is the same gospel in each and every one. And I love hearing the diversity of how God saves people. There are over thousands of years now of Christ doing this. There are all kinds of dramatic testimonies. Think about the Apostle Paul in the first century encountering Christ on the road to Damascus as he's going to persecute Christians. Or Martin Luther in the 16th century as he gets caught in a lightning storm and he cries out because he thinks he's going to die and commits his life to the Lord and becomes a monk and and begins this epic quest to discover where does true righteousness come from how does one get right with a holy god and discovers justification by faith alone in christ alone some testimonies are almost humorous you can read about augustine in the 4th century in his confessions he writes about going into this garden with his best friend and feeling overwhelmed by his guilt And he starts crying. I mean, really crying. Augustine describes it as a mighty rain of tears. And he starts ugly crying. And so he's kind of embarrassed because his best friend is sitting there. So Augustine says he runs away from his best friend because that's when guys do. They don't want to see him ugly cry like that. So he runs away. And then he hears this voice say to him, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. And all he can assume is, is is it's talking about the scriptures. And so he goes back to be with his best friend, and he just opens the Bible, and the first verse he comes to is Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And Augustine said, I didn't have to read any further, for instantly is the sentence ended. There was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. And his friend said, man, what did you just read? And Augustine showed him the verse, and then he got saved as well. There are less dramatic testimonies. I think about Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher who couldn't make it to his church because it was snowing one day. And so he goes into this little church and the pastor doesn't show up. And a member of the church stands up to preach. And he just reads the same verse over and over and over because he doesn't know what to say. And it's just, I mean, it's just one of the worst sermons ever. And he's sitting there just reading the verse, reading the verse from Isaiah. And he looks up and he looks at Charles Spurgeon and he says, Son, you look miserable. Look to Jesus. And Spurgeon says, I did. And that was it. Or Lydia in Acts 16, who it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. Each story a little different in circumstances and yet the same in that Jesus sought and saved the lost. He has been doing this for thousands of years. He is doing it all over the world today. He's going to continue to do it until He returns. And our text today is a conversion story about a man named Zacchaeus. A most unlikely convert to Christ. And yet his story this morning can teach us that there is no one, there is no one beyond the saving arm of Jesus. Look at Luke 19 with me. Beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 10. Luke chapter 19. This is God's holy, and an errant word for us today. It says that he, speaking of Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him Joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's Word for us today. We need to frequently study and be reminded of testimonies like this. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and what he did for Zacchaeus, he can do for any one of us and any one of those that we love. I think the main point of our text for us this morning, Luke graciously gives us, Jesus gives us in verse 10, I can't think of a better way to say it, the main point of this text is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And the effect, the application, the impact on our soul this morning, I think, is twofold. I think number one is to remember that he came to seek and to save you. Whether it was 40 years ago or six years ago, or whether you are here this morning and you realize that Jesus is seeking you right now. To remember that He came to seek and to save you. And number two, I think God wants us to look around and be filled with faith that Jesus is seeking and saving those around us whom we love and pray for. And this text can remind us what is most important. And all the things going on in our world, all the things going on around us, this is what's most important. This was Jesus' mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so two points this morning from our text, from verse 10 and our main point. Point number one, Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks the lost. He comes after them. Look down at verse 1. Luke tells us, he introduces this by telling us that Jesus entered Jericho and he is passing through. Jericho is a small town about 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem and He is passing through. And as He does, a large crowd begins to gather along the roads. This is near the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has already healed the lepers He's healed the blind, he's cast out demons, he's walked on water, he's fed the 4,000, he's raised the dead. And so stories and rumors about Jesus are spreading. He's entering into this town and so this large crowd begins to gather around him. And then in verse 2, Luke introduces us to Zacchaeus. And there's three things that Luke tells us about him. Number one, he's a chief tax collector. Which means that he was a hated man. Because though he was a Jew, he worked for the Romans and he actually robbed his own people for his personal wealth. He was considered by the Jews a traitor and people hated him for it. They considered him to be someone who sold out his own people for personal gain. He's the chief tax collector. Number two, Luke tells us that he's rich, which might seem like an unimportant detail, but it's really important to the story. And we're going to get to why it's important in a few minutes. He's a a tax collector. He's rich. And then number three, as we see in verse three, he was seeking to see Jesus. Now Luke doesn't tell us why. Maybe, Maybe he was curious. Here's this man coming through town who has no wealth, no possessions, is not nicely dressed, and yet here are all these people coming to see him and follow him. Maybe, maybe Zacchaeus was curious. Maybe he just wanted to get a glimpse of what all the fuss was about. But a small spark can light a huge fire. I don't know if you remember the Ranch Fire in California two years ago. There's been a lot of fires in California, so it's hard to keep track of them. But the Ranch Fire was the largest fire in California history. It burned over 410,000 acres. They spent a lot of time trying to figure out how the fire got started. After a long investigation, it was determined that the Ranch Fire, 410 thousand acres was caused by a spark that came from a hammer driving a metal stake into the ground. A hammer hit a metal stake, a little spark shot off, started in ember, and from that 410,000 acres burned. A little spark of curiosity God put in Zacchaeus would prove to light a massive fire in his soul. He's just seeking to see and get a glimpse at who this man is. Zechariah 4.10 tells us to never despise the day of small beginnings. It was a small beginning, but it lit a huge fire in Zacchaeus' soul. And there's almost this humorous story that Luke tells us about Zacchaeus in verse 4, trying to get this glimpse of Jesus. It almost feels to me like Luke is mocking him just a little bit. He's this wealthy man. He lets us know that he is small in stature. I always wonder if Zacchaeus was still alive when this gospel came out, if he read this and said, Luke, did you really have to put that detail in there? You know why I climbed the tree, but... Luke tells us he's this rich man and he's small in stature and there's this large crowd. And so you can almost picture Zacchaeus kind of trying to see over the crowd and jumping up and down and he can't get a glimpse and he's dressed nicely and so he runs behind everybody and he runs up ahead of the crowd and he climbs up in this sycamore tree just to get a sight of Jesus. Imagine His shock in verse 5. Look at verse 5. When Jesus comes walking through the crowd and with the masses lining the streets, He looks up into the tree and He meets Zacchaeus' eyes and He says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Unasked jesus stops unasked uninvited he invites himself to come and stay at his house in this story initially it appears like zacchaeus is seeking out jesus when it's actually the other way around it's all about jesus seeking out him this is who jesus is he is The good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one lost wandering sheep. Out of all the masses, out of all the people, he came to seek Zacchaeus. Listen, where where were you when Jesus sought you? Think about it. Remember, go back. Zacchaeus was in a tree when Jesus sought him. Maybe you we're on a trip to New York City after the band broke up. You know, any testimony that starts with the band broke up, that's going to be a good testimony. Might have been in a little Bible study in your dorm. You might have been the only one to show up to that Bible study like I was when Jesus was seeking you. You might have been ugly crying like Augustine because of the weight of his guilt. This week I met with a father and son because the son desires to be baptized and I was asking him about his testimony and the son was sharing with me how he was alone on his bed and he just felt the weight of his sin. He felt so dirty and unclean and just felt the weight of his sin and he remembered and he recalled all the times he'd heard through children's ministry and from his parents what Jesus did for his sin and it became a reality to him. He said, I repented. I, I thought I can repent and turn. And he said, and when I did that, it was gone. The weight of my sin was gone. I praise the Lord. He left the 99 and he came after you. He sought you. And not only does he call Zacchaeus, but he stops for this man. This is a small detail, but when you think about the implications of this, they have huge implications. He stopped for this man. He stops and he calls Zacchaeus. And then he says, I must stay at your house today. Okay, remember the situation back in verse 1. Luke tells us that as Jesus entered Jericho, he was just passing through. He wasn't intending to stay there. He was only passing through. Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem. In chapter 18, Jesus had just given His third prophecy about what was going to happen to Him when He reached Jerusalem. Look at Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. Jesus says to His disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. He's telling his disciples, do you realize where we're going? Do you realize this will be our last trip to Jerusalem? Do you understand what is about to happen to me? He is on his way to his death. He is on His way to bear God's wrath for our sins. He is on His way to being tortured and mocked and spit upon. And the weight of this trip and the purpose are crushing Jesus as He approaches Jerusalem. And He's preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. And he's fighting the crowds as they are trying to make him their king and their deliverer. That Yet they don't understand what that means. And he's receiving persecution from the Pharisees as his popularity increases. And they begin to fear him. And they're beginning to plot against him. And they're trying to trap him. And all these things are going on. The crowds are screaming. And these leaders are accusing. And the disciples are questioning And yet, in the midst of all of this, he stops for Zacchaeus. He stops for this hated man. Everyone there hated this man. Everyone despised him. This is the one Jesus stops for. Listen, if Jesus on His way to Jerusalem, on His way to the central point of history as He sacrifices Himself for the sins of mankind, if He can stop for this man, shouldn't we be able to stop for those we pass day in and day out? What we see here is the heart of our Savior. We see what matters to Him, what the priority is. He lays down his life. He cares about others. He loves Zacchaeus up in this tree seeking to get a glimpse of him. Everything today, we were thinking about this. I was talking uh, to Jake Cronin about this this week. They've been doing some outreach and sharing the gospel. And we were talking about how everything today has become so unrelational. Everything is being designed to be convenient and automated. From self-checkout lines, to pay at the pump, to food delivery drop-off, to shopping online, to delivery by drone, which is coming our way soon. You know, you won't even have a delivery driver. Just a drone with a package flying through your neighborhood just drops it on your doorstep. Then we talked about how we have to go out of our way to interact with people. It's so easy to just ignore everybody around us. There's a value in being inconvenienced for the sake of relating to people. And, and I say this, I'm not saying this as one who gets this right. As I was reading this text, just this week, I was boasting to my family about how efficient I can be on running errands. I said, listen, if you guys go to Kroger, you're going to be back in like an hour. If I go, it's going to be 15 minutes. I'm going to go in. I know the aisle. I'm not going to look anywhere except what I'm going for. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to do self-checkout because I'm faster than the cashier. And then I'm going to be out the door. And then I'm coming to this text just like, oh, man, you know, just convicted, convicted of selfishness, convicted of just putting my agenda before people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die for our sins. If He can stop for Zacchaeus, we, we, we should stop our agenda and be able to put down our phone in the checkout line and open our eyes and look around and see all the people around us. These eternal souls created by God in the image of God. And what we see here is the heart of our Savior. I want a heart like this. I want our church to have a heart like this. And I think you do. You love people well. And I love this text because he calls Zacchaeus and he stops for Zacchaeus. He stops where he's going. I love that he invites himself into his house. I think there's great application there for us. Don't wait for an invitation. Just say, I'm coming over to your house today for lunch. You know, let's see how that goes for us. But I think... There's some application there, but I also think in this text it's amazing how God sovereignly can bring people into our path. Not only can God do this, I think we should expect and be looking for God to do this. What's interesting about Jesus going through Jericho is that this is not the normal route to Jerusalem. Jesus was traveling from northern Israel to the south where Jerusalem was, and there's This is not the direct way to go. But what happened is, in Luke chapter 9, there was a Samaritan village that rejected Jesus. And so Jesus is actually taking an alternate route to get to Jerusalem. This is not the normal way that He would go. God sovereignly brought Jesus through Jericho. And we find not one, but two men whose lives are going to be transformed forever by this alternate route. We also see at the end of chapter 18, this blind beggar who cries out, and Jesus heals him and saves him, and then he enters Jericho, and here's Zacchaeus climbing up in this tree. And God's sovereignty, these ordinary encounters become opportunities for life-transforming moments unexpected detours are really divine appointments in God's sovereignty. I love this story by Randy Alcorn. This is from his book, Grace and Truth. It's a little little lengthy, but it is, it just illustrates so well how God does this in our lives. He writes, this is Randy Alcorn, he says, late one rainy night, my wife and I were leaving a movie theater when Nancy noticed an older man in the parking lot leaning on a walker, struggling. I helped him get into his car. Since he was so exhausted, I asked if I could drive him home. He declined, but I said we'd follow him home in case he needed help. As he pulled out driving erratically, we prayed he wouldn't find the street. Our prayers were answered when he got trapped in a fast food drive through line. I opened his door, and I asked him to move over to the passenger seat so I could drive him home while Nancy followed. As I pulled out, two men jumped in front of the car, waving their arms and a cell phone. One shouted, My wife's having our baby, and I have to get home. Can you drive us? Well, I said, this isn't my car, and I don't know this man sitting next to me. (laughs) Sounded pretty lame, don't you think? So this is what he does. I asked Nancy to drive the older man's car and follow me while I took those guys home wherever that was. After dropping them off, I hopped back in with George, by now I knew his name, to take him home wherever that was. When we reached his place, I helped him to his room. I found out George had been a political science professor at San Francisco State University for 28 years. I realized that most people of George's background would not count Bible-believing Christians among their favorite people. George asked me why we had helped him. I told him we were followers of Christ. I left him my book in light of eternity. It be handy to have a book you wrote. You just hand people, you know. I, I left him my book in light of eternity. I prayed God would touch his life, and I hoped we'd hear the rest of the story in eternity. As it turns out, we didn't have to wait that long. Two months later, my assistant Kathy woke up in the middle of the night experiencing a strange medical problem she'd never had before and hasn't had since. The next day, she went to her doctor, bringing with her a copy of In Light of Eternity. When the doctor saw it, he said, one of my patients was carrying that book the other day, and he told me he wished he could talk to the author. Kathy returned to our office with George's phone number. I called him and asked if he wanted me to drop by. He did. George was full of questions. He wanted to know the truth about Jesus Christ. He couldn't get over the idea of grace, that God could really forgive rotten people. He said it sounded too easy. Two hours of discussion followed. I saw God's spirit at work in George. Finally, he prayed Confessed his sin and accepted Christ's gift of eternal life. Now, what are the chances of all these events coinciding? And I love this. Randy Alcorn says, no chance at all. They were a series of divine appointments. This is what God does. This is who God is. God has been doing this. And and, and I think in this room there's probably hundreds of testimonies like this. This is how God works. Let's expect this. Go into this week thinking, where is there going to be a detour? How can I help somebody? How can I go out of my way to interact and serve somebody? Because Jesus seeks the lost. He's pursuing them. He is looking for them. He is after them because he loves them. And we get to participate in God's sovereignty. Jesus seeks the lost. Where might God sovereignly be taking you? Point number two, Jesus saves the lost. So we see in this first half, seems like Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus, but it's really Jesus seeking him. And point number two, we see that Jesus saves the lost. In verse five, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. And you have to imagine, not only did Jesus come, but he brought all of his disciples with him. I'm coming over to your house and see this gnarly gang behind me. They're coming over too, you know. They're coming over for dinner. And I love Zacchaeus's response in verse 6. Look with me at verse 6. Look at this response. It is immediate. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. In the, in the original language, it's just seven words. This verse is just seven words. And four of them are strong verbs communicating his response. He hurried. He, this is an urgency. He came down. He welcomed him. This is a strong verb of him welcoming Jesus. And then finally, he rejoiced. He was so happy about this invitation. And we get to see in this verse This transformed life, this instantaneous transformed life by the grace of God. And this is where the detail about Zacchaeus being rich comes into our story, an important detail. Because just a chapter before, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus interacts with another rich man. But unlike Zacchaeus, this rich man thinks that he is very moral. He comes to Jesus and he asks how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know, look to the commands of God. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. And and this rich young man says, well, I've kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, to go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And look, and how differently his responses from Zacchaeus. This is Luke 18, 23 and 24. It said, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. To which the disciples respond, well then, who who then can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And now in Zacchaeus, just one chapter later, we have a living illustration of the power of God and the bondage-breaking joy of knowing Jesus Christ. The first rich man, he became very sad because he couldn't let go of his stuff. He couldn't give it away. He couldn't let go of his grip. And the next chapter, Zacchaeus, oh, he rejoices. He welcomes Jesus. He is so happy. Look at verse 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Jesus didn't even tell him he had to do this. Half I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He gives beyond what the law requires. He's not just giving what the law says. This is what you have to do. His heart has been transformed. Numbers 5-7 says that if you've wronged anyone to confess it, to make full restitution, so so you give it back, and you add a fifth on top of it. So if you've defrauded somebody, you give them back what you took from them and you add a fifth or 20%. Zacchaeus is adding 400%. Fourfold. In verse 7, it says that the crowd, when they saw Jesus eating with Zacchaeus, they were grumbling. They were complaining that Jesus was going to be with this sinner. You know, I bet after Zacchaeus gave them back fourfold, I don't think they were probably grumbling or complaining anymore. But what's happening here is we're getting to see this heart transformation happened in front of us. And Jesus doesn't say salvation came to his house because of Zacchaeus's giving. His giving is evidence that his heart has been transformed. Money held a grip on his heart. Money is what enslaved him. He was willing to sell out his own people, to gain this wealth. It's what he loved. It's what he craved. It's what he lived for. He could be hated by everybody. Didn't matter to him if he only had this. And then he meets Jesus. And he's filled with joy. And we see he's no longer a slave to sin. Money no longer has this power. Sin no longer has this power of him. All of a sudden, this tight grip he has opens up. And he says, I give, Lord. I'm going to give half to the poor. I'm going to give back fourfold anything. If I've defrauded anyone of anything. And what we get to see is just this heart transformation. It's this worship. It's this joy. We get to see repentance and faith. This is what it looks like. This is what repentance looks like. Whatever held us in bondage, we turn from that. We confess it to the Lord. We find our joy in Jesus Christ. That is faith in Christ. We turn away from this and we find our hope and our joy and our trust in Jesus Christ and we're able to let go of these things and turn away from them. We get to see in this story how Jesus breaks us from the power of sin. Sin is no longer our master anymore when we come and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you are here today and you feel like sin has enslaved you, whether it's money you're living for or pornography or pride or envy or worldliness or power or fear of man, I want you to hear that Jesus came to die for those sins. Zacchaeus is a testimony of a man who encountered Jesus Christ. He found something better. And when he turned to him, oh, this no longer had power over him once he came to Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not even worth Comparing in Jesus Christ, we gained eternal life. Sin it leads to death. Christ came to deliver us from our sins. And this is open to all. The invitation is for you this morning. It's for everyone. There's no one beyond the saving arm of Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote by JC Ryle. He says, the door of hope, which the gospel reveals to sinners, is very wide open. Let us leave it open as we find it. Let us not attempt in narrow-minded ignorance to shut it. We should never be afraid to maintain that Christ is able to save to the uttermost and that the vilest of sinners may be freely forgiven if they will only come to Him. And I love this right here. Hospitals discharge many cases as incurable, but there are no incurable cases under the Gospel. Any sinner may be healed if he will only come to Christ. Who then can be saved? This rich young man walks away. The disciples are going, who can be saved? With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Listen, if you're here this morning and you feel like your case is incurable, I think Zacchaeus would like to pull up a chair next to you. He'd like to come and put his arm around you and look you in the eyes and say, no, there are no incurable cases. He would love... To share his testimony with you. He'd love to say. Listen to this testimony. Hated by all. Worshipped money. Took advantage of my own people. Robbed them. And Jesus called my name. There are hundreds here today. Who'd love to pull up a chair next to you. And share their testimony with you. Say listen. There is hope for you today. Turn from your sins. Flee to Jesus Christ. He is Such an amazing Savior. And He loves us. He came to seek and to save the lost. I love testimonies. They never get old. So encouraging because it's not really about us. It's all about Him. It's all about His power, His grace, His might. He's the one who's worthy. He is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. And Father, thank you so much. Just look around this room and see evidence of your grace everywhere. You are so merciful, you're so kind, you're so gracious. And so we we want to end this morning by thanking you, Lord but having our hearts filled with gratitude that we would remember that you came to seek and to save us. So for anyone who came in this morning discouraged, anyone who came in this morning feeling like sin was gaining the upper hand on them, anyone who came in this morning feeling incurable, Lord, I pray your spirit would come right now. And they would be filled with the love of Jesus Christ and the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniac during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.